0: Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now, here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Let's just jump right in. Normally, we have some introductory comments, but I'm just going to have you open your Bible right now. Uh, I've got a lot I want to try to get to you this morning. Um, So open your Bible to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus is in a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Um, and, And that's odd, right? Because Jews and Samaritans did not intermingle. They did not like each other. They didn't get along. You know, we think that we know in our uh, current uh, cultural circumstance what it's like to have racial tension, but we don't know anything like Jews and Samaritans. They did not. Uh, They they barely, if at all, even spoke to each other, and we see that in the passage here. Uh, Jesus shows up at a well in this Samaritan village and um, His disciples are gone. This lady comes by and he asks her for a drink in verse 7, John chapter 4, verse 7. He asks her for a drink and she's surprised because Jews do not normally speak to Samaritans. And she says as much. She says, You know, what are you even doing talking to me? And Jesus says, Hold up, girl. If you even knew who I was, (laughs) you would have asked me for a drink, not me asking you for a drink. I could have given you, and what he says, he says, living water, which is kind of this. Uh, reference to something that doesn't come out of a well in the ground, but something that kind of comes from the well of your insides, right? Like Jesus is kind of, kind of zeroing in. He's targeted her for a conversation and she responds. She says, I would like some of this water. Give me something, please. I want the water you're talking about. And Jesus says, well, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five, and the dude you're living with now is not even your husband. Now, we don't know what that means, okay? A lot of preachers give her a really bad rep, but we don't know. Maybe she's had five husbands. They've all died on her, and some guy has just been gracious enough to take her in so that she isn't living on the streets, we don't know this, but because of our, our culture, we tend to think the worst, especially about female characters in the Bible. But we don't know her story. And so Jesus just says, hey, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, I know you've had five, and you're living with a guy who's not your husband right now. So he sees something inside of her. Whether it's sin or whether it's pain, we don't know. But he's he's talking directly to the thing in her that needs the living water, water that he can give. Right? So, so he, he zeroes in on her, and then we're we'll going to pick it up in verse 19. This is the biggest understatement of all time. She looks at him and she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Really? He just told you that you've been married five times and you're living with a guy. Like, now you can tell that he's a prophet. But not only on that level, but we can see from our perspective, like, listen, you're talking to somebody who's a lot more than a prophet. You're talking to Jesus, right? Like he is, he is way more than just a prophet. But that's what she says. I can see that you are a prophet. And then we don't know. I'm, this is just me kind of trying to, you know, get in the conversation and see what she's feeling. But it's kind of like she changes the subject, right? Like, hey, Jesus, I want to talk about my living situation right now. So I want to talk about something different. She changes the subject. Verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So, Jesus, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. She changes the subject, and that comes—that brings us to our key passage for the day. Uh, what, what we're going to talk about. I want to see if you can pick it up if I just read it to you, okay? Uh, verse 21, Jesus replies to her. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship The Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to talk about worship today. Did you pick up on that (laughs) from the passage? It's this concentrated teaching Jesus has here on worship. Eight times in four verses, he says worship. And so, really the question that we're going to kick off with this morning, if we're going to talk about worship, well, what is worship? Look, what is it? If we're going to talk about it, we ought to spend some time, right, just trying to define what we mean by the word worship. Well, in the Old Testament... Uh, the Old Testament uses words like praise and, and adore and exalt and give thanks. And pretty much throughout the Old Testament, there is one kind of key idea of what worship is. And in, in the Old Testament context, worship is to fall to the ground, to to prostrate. may make sure I say this right, prostrate yourself. You've got to be careful with that word. To lay your face on the ground in front of somebody, touching your head, your forehead, to the ground. Matter of fact, I need a volunteer. I just You don't have to do anything. You just got to have to stand up here. Somebody come up here real quick. Like, don't everybody jump at once. All right. So anybody, just somebody start walking, right? Okay, there we go. Eric, right, give it up for us. I think that's Amber coming up. Okay. Is, Amber's my cousin, by the way, so this doesn't make it all awkward at all. Um, here's the picture of worship that we get in the Old Testament, okay? Here's Amber. Here's me. I'm the worshiper. I come. I, I, I kneel down. I don't stop there. I get down on my face before her. Now, does this make you uncomfortable? A little bit. Yeah, It should. <laughs> It should, because anytime you see one person worshiping another person, it ought to make you uncomfortable. Because no person is worthy of this. Right? Jesus tells us over and over, the Bible tells us over and over, only God is worthy of face down on the ground, kissing your feet right? Thank you very much. See, that's all, like, that was really, really tough at all, right? Like, that's that's the Old Testament picture of worship, and anytime you see one person doing that for another, you don't have worship, you have a cult happening, right? Like, you have a cult of personality, and that's not what we want here. We don't want that for anybody except Jesus. The Bible is super clear. Worship only God. Like, that's the first commandment, right? In the Big Ten, like, don't have any other gods before me. Worship no one else. God. Now when we come to the New Testament we have two different words. One is proskuneo which is the word we have here in John 4 which is kind of very similar to what we just saw uh, from the Old Testament. It means to literally kiss the hand or to to kiss forward. It's that same idea of kneeling down in front of somebody and and showering them with, with, with affection and kisses on their hands and feet. There's another word, latreo it's hard to say. I'm rusty on my Greek, so give me a give me a break. Um, it means to give, to give, or to pay homage. Now, if we just kind of combine all of this and and try to come up with our own definition, we can do it in two words. Worship is when we ascribe worth. When we ascribe worth, when we declare that the 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 one or the thing that we are worshiping is. Worthy. That's what Psalm chapter 29, verse 2 says. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. So when we ascribe worth, what we are saying is this, whatever that is, God, you know, for those of you who are Jesus followers, that's who we worship, Jesus, God, right? This is worth more, and as a result, I am worth less. It's what John the Baptist says. He must increase and I must decrease. Worship is the elevation, the magnification of one thing and the lowering or de-emphasizing of another. So let's jump back into the passage that Jesus uh, teaches us here about worship. He, He looks at the woman in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. You will ascribe worth to the Father. You will fall down on your face and and kiss His feet, if you will. You will worship Him neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus says there's a time coming where worship won't be a matter of geography. You will be able to worship wherever you are. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to a special place to worship. You don't have to be in a special town. You don't have to make a pilgrimage to worship. You can worship God, Jesus says, anywhere you want to ascribe worth. him. So today, you can worship God in a a, a traditional-looking church. You can worship God in a movie theater. You can worship God in a a gymnasium at a school. You can worship God while you're driving to to, to work in your car. You can ascribe worth to the Lord while you're walking in the woods, just in the silence and and, and pondering the the, the creation around you. You can ascribe worth to God wherever you are. That's what Jesus tells us. Verse twenty. Too. He says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers, now let's just pause right there. The true worshipers, that's an interesting idea, right? Like Jesus says, there's a such thing as true worshipers, which means, if you think about it, it means there must be some kind of not true worship. If there, if there are true worshipers, then, then that has to mean, right, that there are at least incomplete worshipers. There, there, are, there is a way in which our worship can be lacking something, right? Jesus says there's a time coming when true worshipers, true worshipers. So, so all I want you to understand is that, is that there is a sense that all worship is not equal. That there is a there is a, there is a, a, an experience of true worship and there's an experience where worship is maybe not to the fullest that it could be Jesus goes on he says um, there's a time coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth and we're going to come back to that. Uh, in the next verse, in verse 24, um, what, what I want us to see here is, is this next phrase. I want to zero in on this line for just a moment. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, just think about that for a second. God is seeking people who will worship him Truly, whatever that means, and we're going to kind of dive into that in the next verse when we talk about spirit and truth, but just let that sink in. The all knowing, ever present, all powerful God who created the cosmos, who spoke life into existence, is seeking people. He's on the hunt. He's looking here and there. He's like, I'm just looking for some true worshipers. Am I going to to find any of those today? Where where are they at? I'm I'm looking for somebody who will worship me truly. Evidently, common, phoned in, blasé worship doesn't cut it for God. He's seeking true worshipers. And there's some implications for that idea. There's are some implications. If God is seeking, he must be seeking for a reason, and there must be some, some uh, things that happen that, that, that worship brings in our lives if, if he is actively looking for people who will worship him truly. And the first one is this. Worship brings God himself. Think about that. If God is seeking true worshipers, when he finds them... <laughs> He, he brings himself. Now, Pastor Josh, I thought God was everywhere, right? Like you just said, he's ever-present. You know, he's, yes, he's, he's, he's omnipresent. That's the word we would use, right, if, if we were going to try to really parse this out. Of course he is. He is everywhere, absolutely. But there is a sense that God is here, like different than just he's everywhere. Like he is here now moving and ministering and and, and speaking. And and there's this tangible kind of thickness to the atmosphere when God invades a space. Have you ever experienced that in worship? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got at least one person over here. (laughs) Merton knows where I'm going, right? There is this this reality, and I'm not just talking about, you know, you get chills, and I got goosebumps, and when they change the key of that song, my heart just sailed. Right? I'm not talking about that. Sometimes Sometimes those moments are really cool. They hit the high note, you know, and the tears start coming down, and that's awesome. What I'm talking about is real authentic adoration of Jesus Christ and it's like when you reach that point the room changes and the atmosphere around you shifts and the only way you can describe it is I don't know what this means but it felt like God was here. I know he can be there with you, but it's like he's here. It's like heaven opened up, and God came down, and the prayer that Jesus prayed that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven was answered in that moment as this failed kind of pullback in heaven and faded my reality, and it was different, and the atmosphere was charged by God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Normally I don't have this many verses, right? We're we're kind of jumping all over the Bible today. Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Solomon is dedicating the temple. Um, God had had deemed it appropriate for them to build um, habitation for him on, on earth. Now, of course, God does not live in walls made by human hands, but but uh, evidently, you know, God was okay with them building this temple, and he wanted to to dwell in this place with his people, and so uh, Solomon, they finished building it, and now they're dedicating it, and just look at this, and just think about how God can invade a space. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So, so how, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to dive into the metaphysical reality of what this was like. I'm just trusting that the author of Chronicles knows what he or she is talking about and it was like there was something different. The atmosphere changed when Solomon finished praying and God came down. Yes. Verse 2, the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord. Because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt, look, remember what we said about worship, right? They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying He is good. His love endures forever. They experienced that moment when when, when God God blurs the line between heaven and earth, yes, yes. and he, he, he comes in a way in which uh, he, he it's different, it's unique, and it's special. And this is one of my dreams for our church, that, that we would so everybody in the room would be on the same page, and God's presence would come down and localize among us. Like that, that's the way I, thats the word I use often is that he, he localizes among us and the glory of God is so thick that standing feels impossible and the only thing you can do is face plant your, your, your yeah. nose on the ground yes. in worship because you recognize that, that in this time and in this space this, this area has just 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 been made holy and sacred and we are in the presence of God. Now that might sound real strange to you, but just think for a second. How do we respond when we are in the presence of great men and women? Don't, don't you, if, if you, you might not be a fan of the president, right? You might not be a fan of President Obama, but if you had the chance to meet him, I can guarantee you wouldn't show up in pajamas. <laughs> Right? You're probably not, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this for any human person. You're not going to, you know, face down on the ground, kiss his feet, but I bet you shake the man's hand. And I bet you look him eyeball to eyeball and you say, Mr. President, it's nice to meet you. Why? Because you recognize that, again, I'm not trying to get into politics. You just recognize that there is someone in the room greater than you are, who has more power than you are, and you are showing uh, honor and respect to that person. Now, take that to the infinite degree when you think about God. Yes. If God came in the room, how would you respond? Yes. Oh, wow. If the creator of the universe walked through the doors and Jesus stood amongst us, would you just sit there with your hands folded? staring at him? Or would you fall to the ground with tears streaming out of your face saying, you are worthy. I can't believe you showed up. So it's not strange. Listen, listen. Psalm chapter 22, verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So there's this sense that when the people of God all together, not just the few fanatics that sit on the front row, which there are none this morning, um, not just the worship band, not just a couple people in the crowd, when the community gathers together and lifts up worship to Jesus, there is a sense that he has given his rightful place in the world. He is enthroned yes. when we praise Him. When, when we worship God, we come in line with the social order of heaven itself. And earth looks like heaven because Jesus is enthroned in both places. Amen. And that changes the atmosphere of the room. If worship brings God, then worship brings salvation. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 and 25. He says if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, and prophesying there does not mean everybody's predicting the future. Prophesying here means everybody's declaring the truth of God. Okay? Everybody's worshiping God in truth, they're declaring the truth of God. Listen to what Paul says happens. They are convicted of sin and are brought under the judgment, brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Because when we worship God, He is really among us. It's not that we are worshiping some deity in another dimension that we cannot have access to. No, we have come boldly into the throne room of God through Jesus Christ the Son. And we have access to the Father because of Jesus. Lots of other churches, you know, I've been thinking about this. Lots of churches, and we do this from time to time, right? We want to dial it down a little bit. Let's make it more palpable for people so that they'll come in and not think we're crazy. But I I just got a feeling that rather than trying to make it more palpable, maybe we ought to make it more powerful. Maybe instead of catering, listen, listen, hold on, don't clap yet. No, 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 no. I am all for making sure our services make sense. To people who are not Christian. Okay? I am fully committed that if you come, if you bring somebody here that has never been to church, they won't leave thinking one, we're crazy, two, I didn't understand a thing that was said. That's not God. That's religion, okay? That's not what we're about. But when we come into the room, okay, I've been guilty of this, and this is, you know, this is one of the things that I've just discovered about myself this week. Too often my focus. Is is the worship experiences for the people outside to come in. And that's true. The worship experiences for church people, sure. But do you know who the worship experience is for? Oh it's God. for God. Yeah. It's not for you and it's not for me. Scripture says, I will bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, I will bless His holy name. There is a sense that when we gather, we gather not to, not for you, not for the people outside. We gather to bless the Lord. In some way, God is blessed when we worship Him. I don't understand how that is. He is not, he is not lacking anything. He is not deficient of anything. But He is blessed when His creation cries out, a, a, a worship to God and when that happens, what Paul says is, is, is when that happens, unbelievers come in and they say, wow, God is here I don't understand what I'm experiencing completely but God like, like they might not even know, they might even say God they just might say, you know, that, that there was something different, man, I just, I don't know what was going on, but I just felt something different, and listen, that doesn't happen when the preacher's excited, because they expect me to be excited Right? Like, this is what I do. Of course I'm passionate about God. But it's when the whole church is worshiping God and the whole church is engaged in active worship that, that the, 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 the room becomes the throne for Jesus and he visits us and he brings salvation. Worship brings victory. In the Old Testament, same book, Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, there's a story of King Jehoshaphat. They were, uh, they were being attacked by uh, armies around them. Other, other, uh, other, other nations were attacking Judah. And they were outnumbered, outgunned, and outmanned. And look what happens. Verse 21 of chapter 20. I told you, we're jumping all over the Bible. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. So here's the picture, okay? You've got the soldiers in the one line, and then in front of them, you've got a bunch of guys wearing skinny jeans and (laughs) V-necks, singing worship songs, strumming acoustic guitars, right? They put the worship leaders in front. They put the worship team out in front. That is not a good military strategy. There are so many of you in here that have had classes in military strategy. That is not a good one. But look what happens. Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise. As they began to sing and praise. In their singing and praising. While they are worshiping God, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amon, Moab, and Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Here's what I know. I know that some of you have significant battles you're facing right now. I know that you come into this place and you're full of grief and you're full of loss. And you're worried about your job. And you're fearful about the state of our culture. And you're you're losing sleep because of a broken relationship in your life. And there's a sin that you've been trying to get victory over for years. And every time you think you've conquered that thing, you step right back into it. I cannot give you what you need. No person can. I cannot. I cannot bring you to the place in your life of breakthrough. Only God can do that. And worship brings victory because worship brings God in a way that is unique and different into your life. And where worship happens, I've discovered, I've seen this in my life, where real, true worship happens, there is an ever-increasing faith that God can do the impossible. When, his, when, he, when when we lift him up when we exalt him when we unleash adoration upon him there are our faith increases and we start believing that God can do anything listen you might be here today if you can worship God in the midst of your difficult circumstances I'm not guaranteeing that he's going to fix it and do everything the way you want him to do but if you can worship him in the middle of that wherever he takes you it's going to be awesome it's going to be good because God doesn't do junk. God does good. And if it's not good, He's not done. So just keep worshiping Him until it's good and then worship Him for making it good. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus says God is seeking true worshipers. Verse 24 of John chapter 4, He says, God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Spirit truth. Truth is important. Is, truth is vital, right? You just told the Samaritan lady, look, you're worshiping and you don't even know what you're doing. Like, you worship who you do not even know. Worship requires understanding. We can't just make up the God that we want and worship Him, right? Like, we can't just, just make God into who we want and then worship the, the created God that we made up, you know? It doesn't matter what I prefer God to be, it matters who He is truly. So, truth is important. Truth is vital. God is not the sum total of my imagination. It's not worshiping the God that I that I you know, created in my own mind. But Jesus affirms her interest in worship. He says, you don't know even who you are, but then he points her to a deeper reality of who God is. Look, he says to her later on, uh, if you keep on reading, he says, I am he, I am the Christ. So, so truth is vital. Vital. It requires, worship requires understanding because understanding leads to relationship. But our danger here at Vertical Church has never been missing out on worshiping in truth. That's never been our danger. Our danger here at our church, let me just be real with you. If you're a first time guest, second time guest this morning, I'm talking to home people right now. You just check out Facebook for a minute. Our danger here is creating a worship that's on only head and shoulders. That's the danger we have here. It's not. It's not that we get off and we're on tangents and we're you know creating God and making up doctrine and going all crazy and haywire. No, 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 no. Our danger here is that our worship just goes from shoulders up. But God wants us to be moved in. In our hearts, in our in our spirits. God wants for the understanding that you have of him in your head to work its way down into your heart. God is not interested in a passionless praise. He wants us to be to, 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 to feel something, to have our emotions stirred by him, to have our affections stirred by his spirit. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Those of you who are married, okay? How would you feel if your husband got up on Sunday morning, came into to you at 10 o'clock in the morning, kissed you on the cheek and said, well, it's 10 a.m. Sunday morning. I love you. I'll tell you again next week. I'm married. My, my wife, she, for those of you who don't know, her name's Hope. She was standing, I think, on this side um, during worship. She, she leads worship for us. She's our worship pastor. But anyway, I don't have to kiss her. Don't. There's nothing in our marriage vows that say I have to kiss her or or tell her that I love her or shower affection on her or hold her hand. If I don't do any of those things, we'll still be married. But her marriage will be terrible. Why? Because she doesn't just want my commitment, she wants my heart. You see that? God doesn't just want your brain. He wants your heart. He wants your feelings. He wants, he wants your emotion. But I'm not a demonstrative person, Pastor Josh. I'm not an expressive person. I get that. Some of us aren't. And different cultures and different types of people lean into that more than others, right? Just max out who God made you to be. You're not an emotionless person. You have emotion. You have feelings. Just max out who he created you to be. And don't be afraid to push yourself a bit. Don't be afraid. Here's what I've discovered. Jesus told us in Mark chapter 12 and in several other places to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and... Anybody? Strength. Strength. How do I get worship from my mind into my heart sometimes you got to get into your strength here's what here's where I want to land this morning the physical part of worship is so important It's, it's not really optional when you look at scripture there's not suggestions there are commands clap before the Lord all you people Lift up your hands in praise and worship to Him. Those are scriptures. Those are not suggestions. I don't know how to be physical in worship. Just read the Bible. (laughs) David, the greatest worshiper ever, exemplified physicality in worship. Look what he says. He says we can worship God with our voice. Psalm chapter 71, verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. So many times David used words like shout and cry and loud. (laughs) Well, Pastor Jeff, volume doesn't matter. You know what volume doesn't matter? But it's really strange that we would express celebration at a volume that the person beside of us cannot hear. Amen. you're singing about having joy down in your soul, maybe you're singing. We're singing about having joy down in your soul. And you look like you're sucking on lemons, man. I'm just saying the two should come in line. That's all. Volume doesn't equal sincerity, but a lack of volume at the proper time does signal a sleepy participation. I've seen people get more excited Went in a toaster at Tuesday Night Bingo. <laughs> David says, David says we can worship God with our hands. Psalm chapter 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Do you know the number one thing people do with their hands in worship? They hold and fold. Hold and <laughs> fold. Or fold, And I have yet to find a scripture where that's commanded in worship. Hold, fold your arms in the presence of the Lord. It's not there. It's not there. Hold your hands together. Grab the seat in front of you as you lift up your praise. It's not there. The commands that you find are lift your hands, clap your hands, wave your hands before the Lord. There's this... What happens is when we get physical in worship, worship moves from our heart to our, or from our head to our heart. I know this to be true because I know the number of times I've gone into church and I've had a bad morning and I don't want to be there, but the song starts so I start clapping and I start singing and then at least by the third song, it has moved from my head to my heart and I'm worshiping in spirit and in truth and all of that junk that I brought in has washed off of me because I have encountered the presence of God and it it's instigated. It's spurred on by the physicality, by the physical posture that I take in worship. David says we can worship Him with our legs and our feet. Second Samuel verse, or chapter 6, verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. His might. David had to make a choice. I don't really feel like putting this ephod on and dancing in front of the ark today. I'm a little tired, but I'm going to muster up the might inside of me to offer a worship that is worthy of the God that I serve. Yes. Now I don't have the best rhythm. <laughs> I don't have, you know, I don't have the best rhythm, but man, when there's a song, you know, and I'm I'm feeling the beat, you know, at least maybe I get a little hop. You know, maybe I'm not dancing, but this is all I got. I'm like Kevin James in that movie with Bill Smith. I just stay right here. You know what I'm saying? I just stay right here, right? Some of us just need to bounce a little bit. Some of, I'm telling you, if you'll bounce a little bit, you'll get worship down in your heart. You'll, you'll, you'll shake off some of that stuff that's holding you down. If you, just, if you just kind of, maybe maybe just sway a little bit, right? Just, just move a, pick up your feet, just move a little bit. But some of it, we, we just stand there so stoically, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and I, I just, is that true worship? Is that worship in spirit and in truth? That's all I'm asking. And I know you have personality quirks, and I know that some of you aren't expressive. I know that a ton of you in this room are, are introverts and God knows that and God isn't trying to make you embarrassed and God doesn't want to make you feel weird but God would like you to step over top of some of your personality quirks and, and venture out a little bit and maybe maybe you've never lifted your hands and your next step is in the song that Hope's going to do here in just a second to just lift your hands maybe that's you maybe this morning you're not uh, you're like i don't have a good voice well if we're all singing together at a volume that is appropriate for worship nobody can hear you <laughs> so i want this to be your permission slip right step more fully into into worship man nobody listen small steps nobody expects a child who is homeschooled in iceland to look like a kirk franklin gospel choir okay that's not <laughs> what i'm saying <laughs> Don't have to do that, but God wants you to 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 amplify your expression of worship with your body. Did you see this week? Did you see that the USS Harry Truman came home? Oh, isn't that awesome! I saw those. Yeah, I saw those pictures on Facebook, and uh, at WVEC, I believe they, I believe they, Facebook lived the the, the 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 coming home, the homecoming. And man, those moments, right, they're like, they're so special. And you, see, you see moms and dads and wives and husbands and, and little, little boys and little girls, and they're holding up signs for their parents, and they're, they're so excited to welcome home their sailor. And then when you see that moment, and you've got to be cold-hearted not to shed a tear at that moment, when you see the embrace and the shouts and the jumping and the crying and the laughing and, and the hugs, and, and nobody cares. In that moment, what onlookers think of such a display of extravagant emotion and physicality? Because their loved one is home. And there is love to be poured out upon this person. In view of God's extravagance to us in Jesus, shouldn't we be bursting at the seams? To get to church every weekend and say, God, I'm going to make my voice raw, singing and shouting your praise because I'm home. God, I haven't, I have, I've not i have—I've been walking through hell this week and I'm finally stepping home and I'm, I'm encountering your presence. God, I don't care what anybody says because there's love to be poured come out. Come on, come on. Yes. Love to be poured out. Of course, church, church is more than worship. But if we fail here, nothing else matters. Worship is like a, 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 a wood-burning furnace in a factory. The work of the factory is not the fire, but if the fire goes out, the work stops. Brothers and sisters, it is upon us to keep the fire burning. It's not me, it's not Pastor Hope, it's not Pastor Brian, it's all of us. Offering a worship, a heartfelt outpouring of adoration. Jesus, because He is alone worthy of all that we have. So it would be pretty ridiculous to preach a sermon on worship and not wrap up by worshiping. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to invite all of you all over the auditorium to just stand with me. If you're physically able, would you just stand? and Pastor Hope's going to lead this song and and it's a familiar song for our church so if you've been here for a while you probably know it. I want you to sing it. I want you to sing it like Jesus is standing right in front of you. Because He is. Through the Holy Spirit God is here. And we can create a seat for Him with our praise. You've never lifted your hands. Maybe today's the day. Maybe maybe you just want to start out at shoulder height, okay? Maybe Maybe you've been keeping them down, and you're like, okay, today I'm going to go shoulders. Maybe if you're comfortable with shoulders, you go one hand up or two hands up. Or maybe you just kind of open them both out and sing to the Lord. We've all heard of body language, right? Let your body communicate to God this morning. Would you sing this song? Right. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the Ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.